I love that video, but I'm glad it's only one more week that we have to watch that video. So uh, it's greatly put, but, you know, nine times, you know, is, that's enough, right? So anyway, that's right. <laughs> it is, it's a good one, Dan. You did a great job. <laughs> um, welcome to uh, the second to the last week of our summer series on Abraham. And I'm looking forward to teaching through the section we have before us today. As always, encouragement, you know what I'm going to say next. Take out that colored insert if possible, as uh, I believe it'll help you better follow along and hopefully take some of the truth we're going to look at today home with you. If you're watching or listening online, there's actually a place you can click and download uh, the, uh, the outline and also the group questions right there on your computer. So I want to talk to you today about options and choices. And the reality is that as America um, gets bigger, we as a world get smaller, so to speak, because of the internet and technology and so forth. And so the number of choices and options before us is, is greater than ever before. Uh, as an example, I was reading this week about a, a gentleman who needed a toilet brush um, for, well, his, his toilet, I guess. Um, yeah, so for his toilet. And, and he, uh, he searched on Amazon in the, the keywords toilet brush over 1,000 options for just a toilet brush scrubber. And he said he was uh, sorry to admit that he had spent about a half hour looking at reviews about different toilet brushes before buying one, he said, from the dollar store, the only one that they had there, the only kind they had there. But the choices, the options, just they, they're infinite, it seems. I mean, think of coffee. Are any of you old enough to remember when there were two options for coffee? Do you remember what they were? And it depends how you're thinking about the options. But here's the options I remember as a kid. Regular or decaf. That's what the, you know, the waitress or the waiter said. And if you pick decaf, it had like the orange, you know, top. And the other one, regular, had the brown top. And I suppose if we wanted to get really technical, um, there were a few more options, like three more. Here they are. Cream, sugar, or nothing. You know, and that was, that was basically it. That was all of your options for coffee. Um, at Starbucks or Caribou, they, someone has, I don't know if they had to put a formula together, an Excel spreadsheet to figure this out, but there are over, anyone want to guess how many options and combinations? Here it is. Over 80,000 different options for drinks that you could, you could have at Starbucks. So, you know, in case you're wondering, you know, there's coffee and espresso and, uh, you know, mocha and and um, latte and caramel macchiata. Wait, Yoda? No, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. And there's frappuccino, cappuccino, al pacino, I think. Um, there's double shot, single shot, half a shot, triple shot, quadruple shot. You just order the syrup. They put a little bit of coffee in there for you. There's hot, very hot. You can, did you know that? You can order very hot, 120 degrees or something like that. Iced coffee, soy milk, 2%, skim, skinny, which is skim. Um, I think you can get whole, I mean, so many choices. And you look at the board and you're just like, ah, you know, overwhelmed. Except for some of you know exactly what you'll order almost every single time, right? And someone did some research and they said that as as a human being, I think this was a research in the United States, on average, we have 35,000 decisions to make every day. On average. And I, I thought about them like, there is no way 
But then you begin to think about all the different things. Like, you know, from the very moment you wake up, you decide whether you're going to get up or you're going to put the snooze on, right? And, and what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and are you going to put syrup on it or how much syrup or what type of milk or am I going to take a shower this morning? Um, high school boys, yes, you are going to take a shower, okay? Yeah, it's just, there's no, that's not a decision. It's just a yes. You're going to take a shower in the morning. But there's all these decisions, all these choices, and every decision we make, I don't mean to freak you out, but every decision has some consequences, some of them are big. Some of them are small. You know, like the coffee thing. Hate to burst your bubble. It's kind of a small decision. You don't like your drink. Okay, you wasted five bucks, and you might have some caffeine withdrawal shaking for a couple hours or something like that, but not a huge deal. There's other big decisions that have big consequences, and you're not always sure what to do, um, whether it be a job opportunity or where to live or, you know, who to marry or where to go to school and and so decisions that we're not sure what to do sometimes and consequences that come about from those decisions to all those options. And in the past, we've had some sermons and some looking at Scripture that sort of helps us to make decisions when we're not sure what to do. I'm just going to tell you, that's not this sermon. Because there's a different situation that is so far different than lots of different options at our disposal that all of us have faced. It's this one. There's two choices. Follow God's will or not. And I'm thinking specifically of times where what his will is is not a mystery. We know what it is, okay? And so it's not that it's what to do that's hard. It's actually doing it that's hard. Like what? Like, you know you're supposed to be nice to the person at work, even though he or she is not always nice to you. Or you know that you shouldn't be maybe slacking as much at work or even at school. You know what is the right thing to do. Or you know that you shouldn't have taken that money or cheated on your taxes, let's say, you know, but you did it anyway. You, you know that you should fight for this marriage. You, you know that, right? And, and, and so that's not the mystery. It's those, those times where it's just hard to do what we know we should do. And I want to amp up the ante a little bit here. It's our first fill-in. Decisions to follow God's will are always big decisions. They just are. And I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you how that is the case as we go on today. But I just want you to know these are not small things. And, and the, the contrary to this is true too. Decisions not to follow God's will when you know what God's will is are also always big decisions. Now, again, if you're someone brand new to church or to, new to God, you're like, maybe. This is exactly why I don't go to church, because I don't need another person telling me what to do or what not to do. I got married for that, you know, type of thing, or I have a mom for that, or whatever it might be. But let me just address that, because those of us who go to church, often we feel that same way sometimes, too, like God is just barking out orders and just wants us to do certain things. Let me t- you can't understand God's will and have the proper attitude towards it unless you first start with the relationship that he wants to have with us through his son. 
You see, for a Christian, it's not a God in heaven or a boss behind the desk barking out a bunch of orders to us that are frankly pretty hard to follow. It's a loving God who loved us so much that he enabled us to have an eternity-changing relationship with him through the forgiveness that his son won for us. And now, and now, man, I, I want to listen because I know it's not his anger at me barking out orders, it's his love for me. And that leads us to the second reason why you should want to listen. Did you know that God always knows what's best? You know that he knows what's best for your marriage relationship or your dating years? He knows what's best for your attitude towards that um, less than kind person at work or in the family? Every situation, his will is always best. And yet, sometimes we still deliberately choose the opposite. At that crossroads, it's we know what choice we should make, but it's hard to do. Now, I want to give you two things today that I saw through the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter 21. I first of all want to give you hope as you think back to some things that are still causing you guilt because you chose one way and it wasn't God's in the past. And it might be a great deal of guilt. It might just be, you know, a smaller amount of, you know, tension that comes up in your life every once in a while as you think of a decision in the past. So I want to give you hope for that in the past. And I also want to give you direction for when you are at those crossroads again and you know what to do, but it's hard to do. With that, where are we at in the life of Abraham? Well, we are today at the point where their promised son, Isaac, is going to be born. And if you recall, they, in an older age, had to wait 25 years before the promise that God gave actually came to fruition. So Sarah is 90, Abraham is 100. They've been waiting a long time for this moment, which is ironic because talking to some of you over the past couple weeks, you feel the same way. It's been nine weeks of this series, and we've talked about Isaac being born every week. When is it finally going to happen? It's here, Genesis chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, that's Abraham's name if you haven't been with us for the whole series, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. So if you recall, a couple weeks ago we saw how a year before this event, God had come with two other angels and, and basically said, by the this time next year, you will have had your son. Well, it happened just that way. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham, as a God-fearing Jew would have done in the time, circumcised uh, Isaac just as God commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. A miracle. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Now, let's pause there. Maybe you were here for the laughter weeks ago, and we, we talked about how Sarah, when she first heard in her old age that she'd have a son, uh, had that cynical laughter of, <laughs> whatever, right? 
Now, that cynical laughter has turned to genuine laughter of joy as God, she says, has done this thing and has brought her laughter. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? You know, she's, she's old. She, she's too old to have kids, yet I have done in his old age. And I want to be careful about this in the sense that I, I don't want to brush with too broad a, a, a stroke, but this has to be one of the most emotionally joyful moments in the entire Bible. It just has to be. You know why I say that? Because I've experienced the joy, as many of you, of childbirth. And I'm not usually a very cry-emotional type person, but every birth, that has happened. This crossing of feelings where you see the, the woman that you love in pain and you just want to take that from her so that she doesn't have to experience that. You see the, the joy of that baby being born, and in our case, four of them all healthy, which is extra blessing when, when that happens and when you're blessed with that. And it's just, it's emotional. Now, imagine, maybe some of you can relate a little bit, imagine having to wait a long time. Imagine having to wait 25 years since a promise and because no doubt they tried to have kids before God gave them this promise, probably 50 years, more than that, 70 years of of waiting, and, and here it is, and there is this overwhelming joy. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Remember the identity Sarah wanted? She wanted to be a mom. We talked about how she should have also wanted just to be a child of God, but there's something in a lot of women, most women, that just wants to be a mom. Sarah now was. Go back to verse 1. I want to point something out. It says, The Lord was gracious to Sarah and Abraham. Why would it be said that way? There's there's two reasons. One, (laughs) physically speaking, the Bible tells us that Sarah was physically unable to have kids. If she would have gone to the Israelites, you know, OBGYN, they would have said, sorry, not going to happen. Sarah recognized this is a miracle. This is all due to God's grace in me and my life to give me this joy. But there's something else there that I want to kind of weed out a little bit. That, that we see the grace of God in giving Sarah and Isaac, uh, Abraham this child Isaac that we shouldn't miss. So 15 years before this, we went through this section a number of weeks ago. Abraham and Sarah had been waiting on this promise for 10 years. 120 months of hoping that they were pregnant and 120 months of disappointment when the pregnancy test came back negative, so to speak, right? And they're at this point 10 years in where they're like, I don't know if God's going to come through. And we have a choice. And there wasn't a bunch of them. There was two choices will and wait because God had promised this thing or question God's plan potentially or question God's will and take things into my own hands, essentially do what we think is best. What did they do? Well, let me remind you. This is Genesis 16, 15 years before Isaac was born. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. 
as you can tell, this wasn't some small act of disobedience. This was a pretty big deal. What they did was a pretty big deal. And from their perspective, I guarantee you, they could have argued for reasons why this was the right thing and how they could see the, you know, how this you know, was the right way. And maybe God really meant that it was just Abraham and not really through me, Sarah. You know, I'm sure they had their arguments. But at the end of the day, as much as they would have tried to convince themselves, they knew there was two ways, follow God's will and wait or do what I want and not wait. And as all of you know, read, they did what they shouldn't have done. And yet the Lord is gracious. I'm sure there were points through the next 15 years where Abraham and Sarah were thinking, I don't know if it's going to ever happen. And quite frankly, I wouldn't blame God if it didn't. And there were these moments where guilt popped up as, as they both saw Ishmael and knew them taking things into their own hands, going in their direction instead of waiting on God's will. And yet, and yet, <laughs> how appropriate God was gracious. He still gave them that gift that certainly they didn't deserve. And Sarah still had a child, as we read, at the age of 90. Here's something that I don't have the, on the screen, but I just want you to remember. God's faithfulness to his promises does not depend on my faithfulness to him. Because my faithfulness is like this. Even as I stay in faith, I'm, I'm not still faithful every day, but God's faithfulness to his promises doesn't depend on mine. That's good news, huh? That's good news. That's how people like me and unfaithful people like Sarah and unfaithful people like you, maybe, are able to have a home in heaven with him. So what promises does God have for us that he's been faithful to? Because I'll tell you what, he didn't promise you that you can have kids. It wasn't any given promise like to Abraham and Sarah. And he didn't promise that he was going to give you a land called Israel. And he didn't promise that you were going to be famous like he gave to Abraham. What are the promises that direct you that you can count on? Well, let me point out two. John writes, If we confess our sins... And trust in Jesus. God is, I picked this verse because the word's right there, God is faithful. He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But wait, God, you know what I did? Remember the 1980s? That whole decade, I try to forget, okay? And God in heaven is like, yep, I know it all. I remember the things you don't remember. I know what you were thinking. And I'm still forgiven, God? Yep, yep, yep. I'm faithful to my promise, even in spite of the up and down of your faithfulness. Or how about this one? This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Romans 8. Convinced after living his life, seeing God work, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, not any powers, neither height nor death, depth nor anything else in all creation. If I could summarize all of that, nothing 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But wait, God, there was this time 10 years ago, and I had the decision to do not to do your will, and it was a pretty big deal. And you know I chose not to do your will. Does this still apply to me? Yep, yep. But, you know, I'm living in a season right now where it, it's more just my attitude, and I won't, you know, admit this to my husband or to my wife or to my parents, but I just have a bad attitude every day. I'm not happy, and I'm disgruntled and discontent, and, you know, does this still apply to me? I'm, that doesn't seem from you. And God's like, you know, I'd, I'd prefer that you would change your attitude, but through Jesus Christ, no, it doesn't change anything because nothing can separate you from me through Jesus. And I'm faithful to my promises. And you can never do anything so big short of rejecting Christ that will put you outside of his way. What about those memories? What about those, those, those memories of, of things like, you know, I felt like I wasted my fatherhood years by not being there enough or uh, the memories of that important point where I, I chose the wrong thing. Maybe it was for a night or maybe it was for a season or whatever it might be. What do we do with those? Let me give you some practical advice. It's what to do with that, to stomp Satan out of your life. Here's what you do. i give you an illustration. On the screen, you'll, you'll find a picture of a plaque. And, and if you travel to different historical sites, you've seen things like this before. I know there's a bunch of them in the, the Black Hills, sort of highlighting certain uh, events in the Great Sioux Uprising, Great Sioux War. And, you know, you, you go to these places, and, and on the plaque, what's written? You know, you know what's written? What's written is a significant thing that happened, place that you're looking. You know what's not written? everything that ever happened in this place. What's written is just the most significant thing. So as an example, this particular plaque looks like it was about some sort of a battle that happened here. But I'm guessing over the last 250 years, there likely was a herd of cattle that walked through there and ate some grass. It's not on the plaque. Or there was a family, a settling family, that somewhere in this broad, you know, pitched some tents and camped overnight and had a bonfire. I don't, it's not on the plaque, but I'm guessing it happened. I bet there's someone that cut some trees down. It's not on the plaque because it doesn't share everything that happens. It only highlights the most significant thing that happened. Here's what you need to do with your past, and I need to do it too. With big things or little things, it's our next fill-in. You need to rewrite the plaque of your past. <laughs> because sometimes... We think we could have done this differently, or we could have done that di differently, and, and yes, we could have. And, and what we did wasn't the best we could have done. But the devil wants to use that, and he wants us to, every time we think back to that, or we could have been more kind, or we could have spent more time, and he wants us to just get down on ourselves. And should we learn from it? Yes. But what he wants us to remember is his faithfulness, even in those moments. You don't remember, don't need to remember everything about that moment. Just remember the most significant thing. And the most significant thing was not that you sinned. The most significant thing is that God wiped it out through Jesus Christ, that he washed it clean. Rewrite the plaque of your past when those memories pop up.
So Abraham and Sarah, you know, we sing a song here called Day, you know, where they, they were just singing that as Isaac is born back to that events. And you know what the, the funny thing is? Not really that funny, actually. The very next verse, verse 8, begins the description of some really horrible things that were going on. So, let's get to that, because I know you want to. Okay, verse 8. So the child Isaac grew and was weaned. This means, in biblical terms, went on to solid foods, and uh, probably at that time around three years old. So Isaac was about three, and on that day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a, held a great feast. This was, in their culture, a celebration day. But Sarah, Abraham's wife, saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham, his name was Ishmael, he would have been about 13, 14 at this time, was mocking, fill in the blank, Isaac. So here's what's going on. Ishmael was kind of like the, the, fa- the, the apple of his father's eye, huh? He was the guy, the son. He had all of his dad's attention. Who knew if Sarah would ever have a child, right? And he was the guy. And then here comes Isaac. And, and probably Abraham showed just a little bit of favoritism to Isaac. I'm assuming that, potentially. And, and Ishmael starts to mock with Isaac. Next verse. And Sarah said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman Hagar and her son Ishmael, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So commentators go back and forth on Sarah's attitude here. Some would say that she was purely trying to protect the line of the Savior. I think there was some of that in it. That's not where I come down, looking at the whole context. Yes, I think she was trying to climb, but there was some selfishness in there. There was some competition with Hagar that was, we saw before and was coming out again, and her response was, just get rid of her, dear, and get rid of her son. And this matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned Ishmael, his son. So what happened? Verse 12, But God said to him, Don't be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because Isaac, that your offspring will be reckoned. So this section, what I think God, in essence, is telling Sarah too, is that, yes, that, or Abraham, that line is important. It doesn't say he approves of how Sarah's been acting, necessarily, or her attitude, but yes, ultimately, we want to preserve the line of the Savior. So I will make, but I will make the son of the slave, I will make Ishmael, into a nation also, because he's your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food, water, and gave them to Hagar. He sent them on her shoulders, and then sent her off with the boy. By themselves. Water, food. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Next verse. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I can't watch the boy die. I mean, it was a serious situation for these two with, with nothing after the food and water ran out. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying. Ishmael crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, a well of water. 
So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. What's going on here? You know, part of us wants to get mad at God for kind of allowing and telling Abraham, you know, in that moment that it's not good for Hagar and Ishmael to be there. And there's just a little bit of us. It's like, what's up with that, God? There is nothing else is some good, you know, sort of for some soap opera that you put together, right? In the things that are happening here. There is dysfunction going on. And my question for you is this. Whose fault was it? Was it God's fault that this stuff happened with Hagar Ishmael? Or your other option is Abraham and Sarah? When 15 years before, Abraham and Sarah had a decision whether to do God's will or to do their own, they chose their own thing. What transpired, I can wife for Abraham and another son, point being, there wouldn't have been any of this soap opera if it hadn't been for their indiscretion years before. Sometimes when we are feeling the physical results of something we did in the past, okay, and and life is harder, we tend to question God's love or whether he really has forgiven us for that thing. I want you to know that the two are not necessarily the same thing. Our next fill-in says this, that every sin is totally forgivable, That thing in the past has been forgiven, but sometimes the effect of sin is not totally erasable. And that's not God's fault. That's our own. I think of situations in the past where I've I've counseled, I've been able to counsel many people with many times it's marriage things. I remember a couple times where someone decided to end the marriage, okay? Even though I didn't necessarily, I did not give them that advice. I didn't think it was warranted. And then things don't go well for him. Or things don't go well for her afterwards, and right away it's like, God, don't you love me? I'm, and, and I'm thinking and find the right words to say, but is that God's fault? <laughs> or are there decisions we make and those, this, those effects are not totally erasable? I, I think of maybe it's not a, a physical difficulty, but maybe it's just this emotional thing from, from an indiscretion in the past that we just can't ever totally get over. And it affects our attitude and it affects our mood. And, and I, don't, I want you to know, it's not that God hasn't forgiven you. It's just that sometimes when we don't follow God's perfect will, the effect sometimes will linger. But at the very beginning, God knows what's best. <laughs> and when we take things into our own hands, sometimes there's effects that last. Effects that last are not totally erasable. And, and as I was reading through this section this week, um, there was one verse that really struck my heart as a dad because I have two sons, okay? Um, both from the same mother, but you already knew that, okay? The matter, this matter, Ishmael or Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac so distressed Abraham this arguing greatly because it concerned his son. And I'm just thinking, yeah, it would, wouldn't it? You've got... <laughs> One wife telling you, get rid of Ishmael, but I'm his dad. And I know I shouldn't have done this, and I know it's been causing problems. I know Isaac is the, the, the son of the line of the Savior, but I love him. I don't want to do it. And, and, and I start to thinking, 
that maybe in that moment, as his heart's being ripped from his chest, that he's going to have to send Hagar and Ishmael away, that, that he's thinking, you know what, if only I had done things differently. If only I could play back the track 15 years. If only I could go back into the past and, and, and do things differently. At what point? At this point, Genesis 16, when I said I agreed to what Sarah's choice. Could I redo that? Two choices. I knew what was right. I didn't do what was right. And I began to think, what would 100-year-old Abraham tell 85-year-old Abram if he could go back into the past. And I think it would have gone something like this. Man, this time travel is crazy. This is a DeLorean, Abram. 1.21 gigawatts, and you too can travel back into time. Kind of explain the whole time travel thing. He would have said something like this. Abram, I know how you're feeling. Literally. And I know at this point, you don't see how everything works out and you're questioning the faithfulness of God. And I know at this point, you could do what's easy and what you think will work on your time frame, or you can do what's hard, which is the will of God. I want you to know it all turns out fine. I want you to know that your God is faithful. And when you're 100 years old, and Abram's like, what? Yeah, when you're 100 years old, God is going to be faithful to his promise and fulfill it, and you and Sarah are going to have a son. So just wait. Trust his plan, his timetable, his faithfulness. Abram gets back into the DeLorean and flies off again. When, when you're struggling with guilt, whether big or small, from the past, or the inability to, to be the person you want to be, remember, first of all, to rewrite the plaque of your past. So when it comes to the past, when you chose or continually choose the wrong direction, the wrong attitude, rewrite it and remember God's grace. But then when you come to that next crossroads, listen to 100-year-old Abraham freshly out of the DeLorean, and replace control with trust. I had a couple different options for this, and I, I called Carrie and asked her which one resonated more with her, and right away she's like, that one. I think we all struggle with this. We want to control things. And sometimes following God's will is that we have to give it up and just follow. That's what Abraham, I'm sure, wished he had done even in the celebration of Isaac's birth. That's what I pray for you. Next time you're faced with a decision, you know what to do. It's just hard to do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for forgiveness and gracefulness which you showed to Abraham and Sarah in which you have promised to us to be faithful to your promises to us. Help me every day to be reminded that my past cannot haunt me that I might be unfaithful to you, but you are always faithful to your promises to me. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, 